Today's reading will be from page 829, Ephesians 5, 1 to 14. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Thanks for that. Well, the rumours are true, as Craig said. I'm wearing pants, so... This must be pretty serious today, so strap yourselves in. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dave. I'm a regular here at TNE, uh, and I'm going to be taking us through Ephesians chapter 5 today. <clears throat> Around three years ago, I became engaged to Maddie, my now wife. Here's a photo we took just after the proposal night. Um, yeah. Look at us, come on. No, there's not one. Oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. You've put me at ease. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Uh, After this, Maddie and I went engagement ring shopping. I admit I was too scared to find a proper ring before the proposal. The downside of this was that when I went down on one knee to express my undying love for Maddie, I had to present this. It's a plastic ring from Diva. Uh, I think the estimated market value is about $4 to $5. So... But she still said yes. What were you thinking, Matt? (laughs) In saying this, though, I am glad I didn't go beforehand by myself because walking through those doors to find rings was terrifying. Even with Maddie there calming my nerves, taking my hand and telling me everything would be all right, I still couldn't handle it. I still feel a little bit lightheaded just thinking about it. There were so many different styles. There was trilogies, Solitaires. This is a good lesson for the guys, actually. There's trilogies and solitaires. Um, there's also four different things you need to look at for diamonds. That's cut, clarity, colour, and carrot. Remember that. But despite the vast variety of rings and diamonds, the one thing that all of them had in common 
was that whenever we viewed them from a different angle, we saw a new color or a new light. And the outcome of this was a greater appreciation for the diamond in front of us. As Craig said before, over the last month, we've been working through Ephesians, which is a book of incredible truths of how we've been brought out of hopelessness and into God's story. And then at the start of chapter 4, Paul instructs us to live a life worthy of this calling. And the rest of Ephesians is teasing out what this looks like. And since then, we've covered a lot. Two weeks ago, we looked at our unity in the church, and so how we're to maintain, attain, and ascertain this unity. Last week, we looked at taking off our old self and putting on the new. And so, doing away with behaviors like falsehood, unwholesome talk, bitterness, rage, and anger. As I was reflecting on what we've covered so far, it can feel a little bit like a shopping list. We're joined to God's story, so we need to do A, B, C, D. And today, you might feel like your lists are pretty full. But can I suggest, rather than a shopping list, it's really more like a diamond. The diamond being God's new humanity, His church, and how we've been joined to this through Jesus. And so, each time we view this diamond from a new angle, we get a deeper appreciation for what God's done and who we are now. Well, this week, this week we're going to look at the diamond through the perspective of who we are as children of God and how we live in light of this. This brings us to our first point. As children of life, as children of love, walk in love. This first truth we're being told by Paul is that in Christ we're dearly loved, both by God our Father and Jesus our brother. Let's look together from verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what's the example God's refer- that uh, we're referred to in verse 1? Well, at the end of chapter 4, we're told, Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, just as in Christ God forgave you. So God's example of love is kindness, compassion, forgiveness. And this is ultimately expressed in Jesus. So if we want to see what God's love is like, we look to Jesus. In verse 2, we see that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. So Jesus, the ultimate example of God's love, displayed this by sacrificing his own life for us. Now, if you've been with us throughout Ephesians or even longer, this shouldn't be surprising to hear. I mean, we talk about it every single week, so it should start to fall into place, but But so often we can just let these words skim over us, pass us right by. We don't let it shape and define the way we live. Until recently, I was mentoring a child, we'll call him Joe for the story, uh, who's a warden of the state. We regularly spent time together for five or six years. When I first met Joe, he was five years old. He'd been taken away from his mum due to neglect and placed in the care of his grandparents. But pretty soon they didn't want him anymore. So after some time in emergency accommodation, he now lives in a home with full-time paid carers. 
Joe's good quality, and we've had some fun times, but he has some serious behavioural issues. I remember on one occasion, we're at McDonald's having a Happy Meal, and after cleaning up his cheeseburger, Joe asked me, can I have an ice cream? At this point, he wasn't allowed any sugar because it sent him up the wall, so I told him, no, and he blew up. Within a few moments, he'd bolted out of that Macca's and was running straight towards peak hour traffic on Main North Road. I overtook Joe, acting as a wall between him and the cars. And so Joe, being the resourceful kind of kid that he is, he found some nearby sticks and and some rocks. He started throwing the rocks at the cars and whipping me with the sticks. (laughs) I was starting to think at that point, maybe I should have just given him the ice cream. I can't help but consider that in that situation, Joe didn't need a full-time, uh, he didn't need a paid mentor like me or full-time paid carers. What he needed was a family who dearly loved him and he needed this from the start to shape and form how he viewed himself and how he acted. If this happened, I think instead of Joe throwing rocks at cars and whipping mentors I think we'd begin to see acts of kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and self-sacrifice. That's the transformative power of love. This is just an everyday example, but how much more powerful is the love of God for us? We know we're dearly loved by God our Father, how before the beginning of time, He planned to bring us into His family. And to accomplish this, He gave up His only Son, despite the heartache. We know how loved we are by Jesus, our brother, who willingly left his throne and humbled himself before men, bleeding out on a cross. This is the love of God so clearly expressed. And it doesn't stop with our head knowledge. To know this love is to allow it to transform the way we live to be modelling our love on God in kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and following in the footsteps of Jesus in self-sacrificial love. So as children of love, walk in love. Paul now changes the focus on the diamond slightly to view who we are as children of light. And just like being a part of any family, in God's family, we're called to live a particular way, both in what we do and what we choose not to do. This brings us to our second point. As children of light, don't walk in darkness. In verse 8 we see, For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. The second truth Paul's telling us about ourselves is that through God's love, we've transformed to be His new humanity. Paul contrasts dark and light to explain this. For we were once darkness when we were separated from God, living a life in rejection of His ways. But now, in Jesus, we're light. Notice at this point, Paul's not referring to a change in surrounding environment, that we were once in darkness, but now we're in light. Paul's saying we were darkness, but now we're light. In Jesus, the very essence of who we are has been radically transformed. 
I wonder if this is how we view ourselves when we get up in the morning and go about our daily business. Do we consider that we're going into dark places and that we're the light? Paul then instructs that as transformed people, we're to rid ourselves of certain behaviours. A number of commentators suggest that verses 3 to 15 are particularly addressing sexual sin. Of course, these instructions could have a wider scope, but this seems to be the main focus. Paul captures this in three points, actions, speech, and relationships. Let's look together. In verse 3, we're told, But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. The word greed here could literally be translated to coveting. What does this make us think of from the Bible? Thou shall not cover your neighbor's wife. So in our actions, we're to rid ourselves of any hints of sexual immorality, impurity or coveting. Paul then continues in verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So we're to do away with speech, which is crass, lewd or foul. And then in verse 6, Paul states, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things the wrath of God is coming. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul's setting a high bar here, isn't he? We're not to have any sexual sin in our actions, in our speech, and we're not to partner with those who do. In this instance, who are we not to partner with? Well, it's those around us who live and justify these behaviours. This could be people from outside our church, but it could also be within. We can imagine the type of scenarios. We're with our friends and they're wanting to have a particular conversation or watch a certain show. But when you don't join in, they try to convince you otherwise. Why not? Come on. Start living in the 21st century. Don't be so conservative. Or for the Ephesians, it might have been, don't be such a prude. It's the first century. It's easy to be persuaded by the culture of the time, but Paul's saying we can't join in. And he goes on to explain why. From verse 3, sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed are improper for God's holy people. And verse 4, words of obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking are out of place. The reason we're not to engage in sexual sin is because it's incompatible with our new self. The connection here between our identity and our conduct is primarily a do because we are logic. We're children of light, and so we walk in light. It only makes sense. When I was younger, I was mad about football. (laughs) If only mum was here. If you're listening on the recording, mum, there's a picture of me as a young kid with a football. (laughs) One of my highlights for year nine... I was being asked to play football for the school's first 18 football team. I was pretty excited to play with the 10s, 11s and 12s, and I couldn't wait to get started. 
Uh, in one of my first games, I was named on the wing. The first quarter was all right, nothing too special, unfortunately. Um, but then came the start of the second quarter. I lined up on the side of the square next to my opponent. The ball was thrown up in the air, and pretty soon it had squeezed out to my side of the ground. I beat my opponent to the ball, and I was off, down the wing. I sidestepped a tackle, got the boot onto ball, and hit the centre-half forward on the chest. But there was only one small problem with this. I hit the wrong centre-half forward on the chest. (laughs) In my confused state, I went the exact wrong way. Therefore, it kicked the goal, and shortly afterwards, I was on the bench. Now, you can imagine, right, the spectators and the coaches on the sidelines scratching their head in puzzlement, wondering what I was doing. As a player for one team, it made no sense for me to kick uh, to the other team centre-half forward. When we look at being children of light, it's no different. There are certain behaviours that are out of place, and so we're not to have them in our lives or partner with those who do. Paul then elaborates on this by providing three reasons for why it's incompatible. The first reasons provided in verse 11, where he says, "...have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. We no, we no longer live sexually immoral lives, because at the heart of the matter, these behaviours are shameful." Now, it could be easy to dismiss this as some sort of guise for sexual oppression, that Paul's using shame as a tool to keep people in line. But, if we're honest, what's at the heart of all sexual sin? It's selfishness. It's what I can get from you. We see this clearly in the big examples. Tiger Woods, for instance. Viewed by many as a sporting god with the perfect family, But when it became public, he'd committed up to 120 affairs. In a moment, his image was tarnished with shame. It'd be easy for us today just to look at those big examples. But Paul's telling us not to have even a hint of sexual sin of any kind. And this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. Because it has implications for us in our public lives, in our private lives, how we speak and how we act, what we look at and what we listen to, how we spend time with people. We're called not to have any sexual sin in our lives because it's shameful. So this is the case for us when we're with friends at the coffee shop and the conversation takes a turn to something which is sexually crass. Or our mates at the footy club... And they start objectifying women, but we just want to be one of the boys. Or being tempted to watch a sexually explicit show like Game of Thrones, because all our friends are. Or wanting to push the boundaries on a dating relationship. Or when you're alone, and you're on your phone, and you begin to search the internet to look at inappropriate images. Paul's saying here, All of these behaviours are incompatible for us because they're shameful. In verse 6, we're provided with the second reason. Let no one deceive you with empty words, but because of such things, the wrath of God is coming. 
We're no longer to live this way, not just because it's shameful for us, but it's serious to God. And it's because of these behaviours, the wrath of God is coming. The final reason then is given in verse 5. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure or greedy person, such an person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. God's new humanity is one of light. And out of the people in this world, it only accommodates those who are children of light. There's no room for immoral, impure or greedy people. Well, how do these last words sit with us? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? I feel uncomfortable saying it. In hearing this kind of statement, I think there's many reactions we could have. We may hear these words, recognize that there are areas of our lives that are incompatible. Thank God we're saved by Jesus, but then go home and continue living the same. Contend with hints of sexual sin in our public and private lives, at work, the pub or the cafe, with your girlfriend or boyfriend, or alone when you're on your phone. If this is the case, Paul saying, don't be deceived. No immoral, impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So remember who you are. God's brought you out of darkness and into his kingdom of light. Not so we can continue to live in darkness, but to walk in light. If this is something that you'd struggle with, in a moment we're going to have an opportunity to pray to God and to bring this before him. But can I also encourage you um, to think about talking to trusted friends and family about this, asking them for support, prayers and accountability as you walk as a child of light. Well, another possible response. You may be someone who's diligent in the way you live, ensuring no hint of sexual immorality uh, in your life. But you sometimes wonder, have I done enough? Will God be pleased? And then you hear these words, your heart sinks, and you go into a spin questioning everything. Well, once again, Paul's saying, remember who you are. You're already a dearly loved child of light. Not because of what you've done to attain or maintain this privilege, but what Jesus has already done. And so, continue to walk in light. If you're someone who struggles with this, then can I encourage you to keep coming back to God's Word and talking to Him, remembering and exploring who you are in Jesus. And if we know somebody like this, let's keep praying for them and reminding them that they're dearly loved children of God. We've got one more point to look at, but for a moment, it'd be great if as individuals, uh, we could pray to God in response to what we've just been talking about, thanking Him that in Jesus we're dearly loved children of light but also bringing forward our personal struggles, requesting renewed strength to walk in light. If you're someone here today who wouldn't say you follow Jesus, 
you might want to take the next couple of minutes as an opportunity to think about what we've just been talking about. Uh, After a couple of minutes, I'll pray for us as well. So go ahead. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you're a great God and we're so thankful that in Christ we've been joined to your story and transformed to be light. We're sorry for the times when we've undervalued what you've accomplished in Jesus or the times when we've taken it for granted. Please give us renewed strength to turn away from the darkness in words, deeds and relationships, particularly with sexual sin. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. So as children of light, we're to no longer walk in darkness with any hint of sexual immorality. But we can't just be focused on the darkness, looking over our shoulder at our past life. We need to be looking forward with a clear picture of what this new life looks like. So this brings us to our last point. As children of light, walk in light. Of course, we've we've already looked at two examples of what this looks like, that is to walk in love and to not walk in darkness. But now we're turning the diamond slightly again. Uh, From verse 8, we're given a broad picture of what this new life looks like. You might remember it from the kids' talk. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of light includes goodness, righteousness, and truth. And so, as children of light, we reflect this in all that we do. Of course, just as Jesus is the best example of self-sacrificial love, He also perfectly embodies these qualities. And so in our homes, in our workplaces, with other people or by ourselves, we're to follow in the steps of Jesus, in goodness, in righteousness, and in truth. With this guiding principle in mind, Paul provides us with three instructions on walking in light. The first is found in verse 10, where we're told, find out what pleases the Lord. In any journey you go on, you need to have a clear goal in mind. We're being told here that as we walk in light, our goal is to find out what pleases the Lord. Now, this isn't some kind of airy-fairy mystical journey that God's calling us to, that we can never really know uh, properly what His will is, but we can sure try The reality is, God's already equipped us with every tangible thing we need to seek His will. We can listen to Him through His book of life, and through Jesus, we can speak to Him directly in prayer. Paul's second instruction is found in verse 4, and it's provided as the antidote to sinful speech, if you remember. We're told, 
nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So rather than selfish speech, which is focused on the individual, we're to express thanksgiving to God. In a moment, after this talk, we'll have an opportunity to just do that in song. And the challenge and privilege for us is not just to do this now, but every day, in the office, at home, on the bus. Just for the record, I'm not suggesting that we need to break out into song on the bus. You can if you want to. I'm looking at you, Richard Austin. But maybe we can spend some of that time reflecting on God's goodness with thanksgiving. So as God's people, we're to walk in light, being motivated by goodness, righteousness, and truth, as we seek God's will with thanksgiving in our hearts. Paul provides us with one more instruction on how to walk in light. And this is where we'll end today. From verse 11, we're told, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. So as God's people, we're called to expose the darkness. But what does this look like? Do we take a flashlight approach? And like a good investigator, we spot the darkness in the world. Should I go to work on Monday and start sin spotting? You're having sex outside of marriage. You're watching crass movies. You're speaking unwholesomely. Rather than a flashlight approach, I think the way we expose the darkness is by radiating light. What happens when you put darkness next to light? Simply by being the light, the darkness is exposed. So what motivation do we have for doing this? Let's look together from verse 12. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. One point here is that exposing the darkness shows it up for what it is. And that's definitely going to be a help to us as we try to live as children of light. Uh, But I think there's another implication from these words. Let's break it down together. Everything exposed by light becomes visible. And everything that's illuminated becomes a light. We were once darkness, weren't we? Until our shameful deeds were exposed by the light... And through God's love in Jesus, we've been transformed into light. So by exposing the darkness, our goal isn't to show people up. Our hope is that people might be joined to God's family. How would this mindset change the way we approach each day? That by walking as children of light in dark places, we do so in the hope that people will join God's family. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything illuminated becomes a light. That's why it said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.
let's not underestimate the power of walking in light. Well, today we've explored some beautiful perspectives on the diamond. Nothing like this ring right here. Uh, And what a privilege it is to be joined to God's story. As dearly loved children, we're radically transformed. And so, we're to live a life worthy of this calling, turning away from sexual sin and walking in light and love as we seek the Lord's will with thanksgiving in our hearts. This is a great but daunting task. And so it's right for us to finish in prayer. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for this time we've been able to spend together in your word. You're a loving father, and we're so thankful that in Christ, we can say confidently that we're your dearly loved children. Thank you for joining us to your story and making us to be light. Thank you, Jesus, for your self-sacrificial love for us, which makes all this possible. Please give us strength to walk in the way of Jesus, in love and in light, seeking what pleases God with thanksgiving in our hearts. We pray all this in your name. Amen.